Here's his 1-0. Posey swings and it's a high fly ball. Down the left field line. This one well hit. It is gone. Posey tucks one inside the foul pole. And a two-run homer has put the Giants back in front. It's 3-2 Giants here in the sixth. And Posey quiet for this World Series no more. We always try to remind ourselves this is never about anybody but the kids who are affected by cancer. You know, our mission is just to raise as much money as we can because, the you know, the real heroes of this are the researchers and the doctors that are out there grinding, trying to come up with new treatments to help defeat this disease that, that hits these kids so hard. It's really amazing to think anytime that there's any amount of money raised that it could, in fact, lead to something that could save a kid's life. Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. It is certainly a pleasure to welcome Buster Posey on the first day of spring training as our special guest to the Good Tidings Podcast this month. As we all know here in the Bay Area, he is a three-time world champion, rookie of the year, most valuable player, six-time All-Star, and most importantly to us, a great philanthropist. So, Buster, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we get to the real essence of this podcast, I do want to chat with you a little bit about baseball. Did you ever let yourself think about your place in the game, especially kind of sitting at home last year, and reflect back on how your career has been and even think about what many of us think is potentially you even having your opportunity to go in the Hall of Fame someday. Yeah, I mean, I think last year is definitely a, a time to reflect probably for for most everyone as much downtime as we all had and time at home. I, I think more than anything, I just felt so fortunate to be a part of some really great teams and, and obviously win the championships. But to be involved with an organization that, throughout the entirety of my career has tried to put a winning team on the field. I don't think as a, as a professional athlete, you can't ask for much more than that. I was texting a friend the other day with, with missing all last year because of, you know, choosing to sit out. We adopted twin girls that were born premature. And um, I really just want this year to be like, try to treat this year like I did when I was like 11 or 12 years old and just really enjoy the little things about baseball that you do when you are a kid, because it's so easy to get caught up in, in the business side of things. Heaven knows we love our stats in baseball, so we can definitely get lost in them as well, uh, and especially baseball in 2021. I think there's a new stat created every day. So I'm, I'm just looking forward to, to playing the game. Yeah, that's for sure. So you were born and raised in Leesburg, Georgia. I assume you grew up a Braves fan? I did, yeah, very much so. And in high school, were you a, a baseball only guy or did you play other sports? Yeah, I played football all the way up until high school, and then I played basketball two years in high school. I always loved golf, but golf coincided with baseball for us. So I played as many sports as I as I could. And you know, it's I feel like it's it's so hard 
nowadays to say you should play multiple sports because I think there's a direct correlation to some of these players getting in the league as fast as they do and being able to compete because I think they are, their skills are so honed because they've specialized so long. So I think there is an advantage to that, but then you think about all the kids that don't make it and missed out on playing other sports. I, I just have always loved all sports. So um, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, my parents, you know, allowed me to do all those sports. And when you go back home, does anybody call you Gerald or has it been Buster all the time? It's always Buster. Everybody calls you Buster. Yeah, it's, it's always been Buster. Um, I've been called Buster since birth. And, uh, you know, my teammates, they, they like to call me Gerald just <laughs> to be jerks more than anything. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so I know you went to college as a shortstop. How did that conversion happen? And playing in the middle of the infield had to help you transition I would imagine. Yeah. So freshman year played shortstop. I went to the Cape Cod league and played shortstop. And, uh, I met a guy up there named Mark Hallberg who, uh, ended up transferring to FSU. He was playing in the Cape Cod leagues and ended up being my roommate, uh, still one of my best friends today. And he's actually on our, our coaching staff right now for the giants. Um, as of last year, Mark was really probably the main reason. And then our, our, our assistant coach, Mike Martin jr. Cause we needed a catcher. Mark had a better glove than I did at short. You know, just I felt like with my uh, my skill set, I, I thought the catcher would be a, a pretty natural move for me. Um, there was definitely a lot of growing pains, but yeah, it's worked out. I, it's it's a great. I love the position. You know, you take a beating. That's definitely the downside of it. But uh, being involved in as much as a game as you are is something I've always enjoyed. So the Giants take you in the first round, and as a former director of scouting for the Giants, I, I just think it's really one of the greatest drafts in the, the franchise's history. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize in football and basketball, you're taken in the first round, you're going right to the big leagues. And in baseball, barely two-thirds of the first-rounders even get to the big leagues. So after you're drafted in the first round, you get in the minor leagues. Did you have any envision on how your, great your career could become? No, I mean, I, <laughs> it's just the old cliche of taking it day by day or, you know, one step at a time. I mean, that, that held true. I mean, I, I savored every step up the ladder, whether it was, you know, going from rookie ball to a ball or a ball to triple a, and then making the jump to the big leagues. And, you know, it's, it's, it was a dream come true for me to be in the big league. So to get one at bat or one hit in the big leagues, I was pretty happy with that at the time. And I think I've always been fortunate to have a great family for support, you know, starting with my parents when I was little and then my wife that she's been with me through this whole professional baseball career. And I think just knowing that no matter what you've got, you know, loving support, it takes a, a good amount of pressure off of you. I put plenty of pressure on myself. So it's nice not to, you know, to feel like you've got that love no matter what. Yeah. And you mentioned you opted out last year because of COVID and really to, to take care of your, your new twin girls. What did you miss most about it? And did you stay engaged with your teammates, even though you weren't in the clubhouse? How did that work? Well, I mean, the, the, what I missed most was just the competition. I mean, it's the best competition in the world. So I missed that the most along with the camaraderie. So I'm looking forward to both of those. You know, I, I stayed in touch with some guys. Uh, it's hard when you're remote um, and not seeing somebody in person is, because 
you know, if you're not there in the day to day and seeing what's going on behind the scenes, it's hard to have a complete feel. And I think some of those details that you miss out on can make it difficult to, I guess, really be in the know. But, you know, we, we talk uh, here and there. But as far as like being involved with team meetings or anything, I was not involved with any of that. Well, switching gears really to the purpose of this podcast, diving into people's how they give their motivation to give. And I just want to start at the beginning was was giving, volunteering, helping out part of your family's mantra when you were young? And were you surrounded by any great givers that you that influenced you when you were young? Yeah, I mean, I think I think my parents always made it a priority that, you know, we, we wanted to help other people, especially those in need. And I think the foundation for me is is my faith. You know, growing up, I grew up as a Christian, still am a Christian. And yeah, I, I think that's the foundation for me is just, you know, I, I think it's so important to, it's so easy to, <laughs> I guess, when you, you get credit for charity work, it's, it's so hard not to let it go to your head, like that you're doing this great cause. Cause that's not what it's about at all. Right. So it's, I think it's always important to check yourself and realize the, the, the reason you're doing it is not so that somebody gives you a pat on the back. Um, and anytime you can give in secrecy, I think that's, that's a win as well. That's the challenge for me because knowing, because I am a, a baseball player and, you know, in the public eye, um, it can be beneficial for others to know what's going on. So I, I think that's a bit of a battle I have is, is kind of making it known what we're doing because it does help. But also, like I said, kind of making sure you keep yourself in check and, and realize the real reason that you're doing it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I've struggled with that myself. When I the first fifteen years of Good Tidings, I I didn't want to get up and speak in front of anybody. You know, I just felt just a little out of place about it. But then realizing, you know, you probably have to, just as you have to do at your gala and whatnot. But I think people like that. I think people will, will are attracted to humble people, and that oftentimes leads to you know hopefully more donations and more people you know, joining forces. We've actually first met back in 2013 when you, along with the Giants Community Fund, joined forces with us, the Good Tidings Foundation, to refurbish four baseball and softball fields in Los Banos, California. Good Tidings is fortunate to build all the Junior Giants fields as part of the Peter McGowan Fields for Kids program, and that was part of it. For people who don't know, Los Banos is a mostly Hispanic community about a two-hour drive southeast of San Francisco in, in California's Central Valley. Tell us why you made that contribution and why that was so important to bring these great new fields to kids and junior giants. Yeah, well, I just think the junior giants program is, is I mean, that's what baseball is about. It's about giving, or, or sports in general are about, about giving kids an opportunity to, to go outside and, outside and get exercise, make friends, enjoy some competition, laugh, have fun. And uh, I've definitely been honored to be a part of that over the years. And what a cool contribution that that you guys and the, and the Giants have made, allowing some kids that otherwise might not have a baseball field to play at. Yeah, it definitely brings a smile to my face to think about kids um, just out there having a good time. And, you know, all of us that played sports as kids can can probably think back to special times we had, whether it's, you know, baseball, football, basketball, golf, softball, all of them. I mean, it's 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 special times in your childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And from that, I uh, actually received my Junior Giants Hall of Fame orange jacket from you. 
which I cherish even more than that green jacket some people get down in your home state. So I want to thank you. <laughs> thank you for giving yeah. me that, that honor. And yeah, it's certainly our pleasure. It's something, it's interesting, you know, as a former scout with the Giants and now going back and being part of this Junior Giants program, you know, is very near and dear to my heart. Just how fond I was of growing, growing up playing baseball and going back and to see how we can inspire kids just to to have a great place, you know, a great, safe and beautiful place to play, I think is important. And you can see all these fields on our on our website at goodtidings.org. But I did want to ask, what were the fields like for you growing up in Leesburg? Were they nice or was it where some of them need some work also? Yeah, I mean, we were we were pretty fortunate. I mean, most of the work that was done was, you know, moms or dads volunteering and, and getting out there and doing it themselves. But we had a nice, yeah, I don't know how many are there now. When I'm back home, sometimes I'll drive through and just kind of reminisce. But yeah, we had, you know, we what we called, uh, I think we called them the peewee fields, minor fields, major fields. So it went from like, we had fields for T-ball and then seven, eight, nine, tens. 11, 12s, and then there was a field for 13 and 14. So, you know, kids could play all the way up until high school. I'm the oldest of four children, two brothers and a sister younger than me. And so we were there all the time. Um, somebody had a game going. So when I was, you know, if I wasn't playing a game, we we were with friends and we were playing. Cup ball was usually the, the game of choice where you crumble up a cup and make some homemade bases and find a fence that you can establish for a home run. And yeah, we had some some pretty good battles in cup ball as a kid. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, for people listening who don't know, Junior Giants really is quite an impressive program, really unprecedented throughout Major League Baseball. Well, well over 25,000 girls and boys get to play baseball for free. You are actually the commissioner of that league. What does that mean, and what are those responsibilities? (laughs) Well, you know, the responsibilities are somewhat limited, but, you know, during the season, it's it's meeting with some of the kids. I've partnered with Rawlings for a number of years now, and we always get to do a, a glove drive or a glove giveaway. And that's always fun, you know, giving away several hundred gloves to kids. And some of them probably never have had a glove. And then, you know, some of them are just really excited to, to maybe get a new glove. You know, as you mentioned, normally in normal times, well, you know, there's a fundraiser and um, usually get up there and, and speak about the junior giants. And yeah, again, I mean, I, I've been humbled to be a part of an organization that tries to, you know, help the game grow and then help kids that are in a spot where otherwise they might not be able to play. So it's been really great. Well, I just want to say certainly the way you carry yourself and play the game, I know is a great inspiration for these young junior giants players to look up to. Five years ago, you, along with your wife, Kristen, started BP28. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your mission? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned five years ago, Kristen and I knew that we wanted to give back in some way. We just, we were cautious that we didn't want to just jump into something that we didn't feel like we're going to be passionate about. And I really felt that I needed her to be on board about with it just as much as I was, because I knew that you know, she was going to be as much of a driving force, if not more than me at times with, with whatever we decided to pursue to try to help out. And uh, so Kristen met a lady named Melissa Wiggins, whose son is almost the exact same age as our, our oldest twins. And at the time, I think Cannon is the little boy's name. He was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, I think stage four when he was two. And uh, Melissa was just very, very upfront um, about the the struggles 
that were, you know, what came with not only cancer, but the treatments of cancer and uh, the lack of funding that pediatric cancer was getting. And uh, so Kristen came to me and said, I think this is what, you know, I think this is what we should try to help with. You know, naturally, we, we met with some people on the Giants, first of all, because, you know, um, knowing that they have a, a pretty large reach in the community, we started there. And man, they've, the Giants, I can't give them enough credit for all the, the legwork they've done with, you know, partnering with us. And ultimately, you know, as we mentioned, that we always try to remind ourselves, this is never about anybody but the kids who are affected by cancer. You know, our mission is just to raise as much money as we can because the, you know, the real, the real heroes of this are the researchers and the doctors that are out there grinding, trying to come up with new treatments to help defeat this disease that, that hits these kids so hard. And it's, it's really amazing to think anytime that there's any amount of money raised that it could in fact lead to something that could save a kid's life. You know, Kristen and I have met, we usually go once a month to local hospitals and, and meet with kids during the season and really just trying to give, give some time to hopefully put a smile on their face. You know, I think our experience this last summer when our twin girls were in the uh, NICU for six weeks even brought it home to me even further about how hard it is to be in the hospital for an extended period of time. You know, I'm sure the walls, not only for the kids, but for the parents start to feel like they're closing in on them at times. So I, you know, I think, <laughs> I guess I would just encourage any professional athlete or, or anybody for that matter, to just go and take some time just to sit with these families if you can for a little bit. And just, even if it's talking for five minutes, I think uh, it's just such a welcome break from the monotony and the, you know, this the harshness of, of being in the hospital. So I was kind of all over the place there, but that was <laughs> somewhat our mission. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's, it's really interesting to me because I'm sure you got asked day one in the big leagues to be involved in so many charitable endeavors and you didn't jump into it right away. You probably felt it out a little bit and then found pediatric cancer as this is what my wife and I are going to do. And I think you know, it's, it's just very authentic, I think, the way you approached it and the way you came to that. And what I, I read on your website, which I found is, is shocking, is only 4% of cancer funds raised go to children. And I thought, I don't know how that could be so little. I guess people's assumption is kids are resilient. Maybe kids don't need the help. So I, I'm hoping, I'm sure your, your reasoning is to, to change, change that narrative. Yeah, I think some of the reasoning is, is, you know, that's federal funding that's going only 4% and is because, you know, I, I think the, I guess the reasoning is, is that's the amount of cancer in the population, you know, is obviously leans much more towards adults than children. But my first thought is like, it's our job to protect kids. So it doesn't matter to me if it was 99.999% of people that were affected by cancer were, you know, 40 and over and only point. Oh, oh, one were children. I still think that they should get all the funding they need because they're, uh, you know, they're, they're our innocent children that are vulnerable. And she's uh, if we're if we're not going to try to look after them and protect them, then I think we're in a, a, a really bad place. Yeah. And it, was it tough at the beginning to decide because you were so emotionally moved by these families? Was it tough to decide? not to give to the families to help them financially and just go right to research. 
Yeah. I mean, I think meeting several people along the way, Cannon's mom, number one, who had been through the fire was like, it's, it's research. That's where we've got to go. That's the only way that kids are going to not go through what Cannon had to go through, or at least have a lesser, you know, have less side effects long-term than Cannon is going to have. Um, so she was, was very big in research. And then uh, Dick Vitale, who actually came out and spoke at the first or second gala, um, who is just, I mean, he's unbelievable at, at raising money. There's no shame whatsoever in asking for money. And I think even last year during the pandemic, I, I can't, man, he raised some crazy number, like I want to say 7 million or something. Like it was, it was a big number, but I think, you know, for the most part, his money's going to, to uh, research as well. And so, yeah, I, I mean, no doubt it's hard not to put it towards the families, but I guess the hope is long-term that families won't be in that, in that predicament to begin with, if there's a way to rectify the, the problem of cancer itself. Yeah. And it, I know you, you and your wife visit hospitals, like you mentioned, you also host kids at the ballpark. Is that very hard for you? Or do you see that more as the motivator to keep BP 28 rolling? You know, it's sometimes it's, it's definitely going into the hospital or having kids there. I, I, I did it's uh, careful how I word this year, but you're not sometimes, I guess I'm not excited about it because it is sad. It's hard to, to see. And I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy that my wife is there to push me along because I'm sure a lot of people could identify with the way I feel. It'd be a lot easier for me to just say, Oh man, that's sad. And then not dig into it. And cause you don't want to feel that you don't want to feel those emotions of, you know, that eight-year-old right there might not live another two months or, you know, look how sad his brothers and sisters are or the grandma that's crying in the corner or the mom and dad who just look like, you know, they've been hit by a truck. It's definitely, I think, overwhelming at times that just to know that those emotions are, go are going to hit you when you see them. But as you mentioned, I think it's important to feel that because when you do feel that, it makes you realize that that's, that's why you're going to put the effort in to try to raise money and so that hopefully they can be helped. Yeah, I read a, a great quote from you. I think it might have been from the first gala. And you said, anybody who is a parent has a primal instinctual feel to protect their children, but a parent of a child with cancer can feel helpless. And I think that really, like you said, it just sums it up. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in, uh, in their shoes and just feeling the helplessness of it. You know, a lot of these parents too have other kids that they have to take, they have to take care of and they have to go back to work and, and provide for those children as well. So it's definitely, <laughs> it's a tough spot for sure. You mentioned much of your funds come from your gala, which is held at the ballpark where you and along with the giants underwrite all the costs so that everybody comes their their contributions can go straight to research so during uh, as hopefully we're tailing out of covid do you have plans for a gala this year yeah we do um i don't know the details of it yet but uh, we definitely do as you mentioned hopefully it's going to be something where we can be in person and and be safe because yeah i mean unfortunately we couldn't do anything last year so really hoping this year that that we can make something work but yeah, with, it, with the wheels are in motion. 
That's great. So in, in this very short time, you've raised over $4 million for cancer research, which is spread out to many different organizations. How do you choose where the money goes? I know some stays here at UCSF Benioff, and some it goes other places. How did you choose? Yeah, um, I mentioned Dick, Dickie V earlier, and he partners with the V Foundation. So yeah, a lot of it's going to UCSF, gotten to know a few of the oncology, pediatric oncologists there, and just great, brilliant people and trust that they're going to use the funds where it's most necessary. And then the V Foundation, you know, they have a, a, a board who reviews all these the potential grants out there. And, you know, there might be some that go to Texas or wherever it may be. So they'll take the money that comes into them, whether it's from us or whoever it may be, and pretty much have said, you know, we trust you guys, but they'll at the same time, They'll ask us if this is something that we'd be interested in. And it's like, well, you know, it's over our heads. Like, okay, yeah, guys, go, go ahead. Um, I did get to visit a children's hospital a few years ago in Texas where we made a donation to, and they took us through and, and showed us some of the work they're doing. And again, I wish I could explain it in layman's terms, but I can't. Yeah, it's, so it's cool. It's cool to see that the generous people who, who donate, it's cool to see their money at work. You know, and I know, Running a charity, everybody gets caught up on how much money you raised or how much you give. But do you think even, do you ever let yourself think for yourself that your example you're setting to your teammates, other professional athletes on how to be a giver, that could even be exponentially even greater than what you're doing individually on how you influence other athletes and what you're doing? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think of it on a, a something closer to home with my own children. You know, I think it's important that they see this. Um, and again, going back to my, you know, my Christian faith, it's, it's similar to, to discipleship. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's something that I want Leonati and Livianeta to see that uh, the real joy in life is helping other people. And yeah, you can't, <laughs> like you said, it, well, it doesn't matter how much money it is. If you, you spend some time and truly from the bottom of your heart want to help somebody. There really is no better feeling than that. I've been very fortunate to, to win World Series and other accolades in baseball. And I can say, you know, the feeling you get from, from giving and knowing that you're, you're helping somebody out, there's nothing better than that. You know, I've, we've had a lot of opportunities. We, we partner with every pro sports team here in the Bay Area and many of their athletes and I've asked this of others, but there seems to be a common denominator with great defensive or unselfish players and their giving. Have you ever thought of that being a catcher, which it could be the most unselfish position of in any sport? Your job is really to help the team, help the pitcher be successful. Do you think that unselfishness of that position and the humbleness of that transfers over to the giving at all? <laughs> I don't know. I've never <laughs> thought of that before. That's an interesting, uh, interesting thought. Can't say that I've ever pondered that, but now that you've thrown it out there, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out across the board. Well, I, I just I, last <laughs> month we had Ronnie Lott. Okay, one of the great defenders of all time, certainly, and has a, a wonderful charity and All Stars helping kids. And 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 we've asked others. So I just, I mean, as I start to think why people are doing what they do, you know, it, there's so much little notoriety comes from being a great defensive player, especially with statistics. So I thought, well, it's gotta, there's got to be something with that because there's a humbleness to it. 
but you're willing to work hard and give. So for me, there definitely is. And I just wondered if you ever thought of that, because I, I see that correlation with the great athletes who are defensive minded. So post playing, have you ever looked like, we'll tell everybody in the show notes and on our website, there'll be ways for everyone to give to BP28 at bp28.org. But post playing career, do you see your, this this ongoing and getting better and growing and being more of a national presence with this with the work? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the goal. That's been kind of at the onset of this has been the hope has been to take it to a national level at some point. And hopefully, uh, as you mentioned, post playing, I'll have a little bit more time to dedicate to it and, and you know, travel a little bit more than I can right now, um, especially for, you know, the nine months or so during the season. But yeah, I mean, it, again, it's like, I think the the simplest way for me to look at it is, is like, and it's kind of, again, I keep going back to Dickie V, but he's all about, you know, it's as much money as he can raise and whatever way that is. Um, I've been fortunate to meet a lot of people now throughout my career. And I think that's what, what he's done so well as he's taken a lot of these um, relationships he's made and uh, just really capitalized on them. And I guess what I've learned as much as anything is, it's never going to hurt to ask and uh, you shouldn't feel bad about asking when it comes to trying to raise money for, for kids who are battling for their life. Yeah, no doubt. So tomorrow you get back out on a field and I mean, do you still get excited at this point in your career at spring training, what the season really could end up being and, and the excitement of all that? Yeah, it's a different excitement for sure than it was 10, 12 years ago, I guess is my 13th spring training now. Yeah. I'm, as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, um, I just want to, I want to play the game as youthful as I can this year. I was actually talking to my, my nine-year-olds earlier today and we were laughing because I've, I've started to get some grays on the side of my head and I was joking with them. I said, what do you think the the 21 and 22 year olds are going to think when they see, see me in the clubhouse with grays on the side of their head and, I said, I think they're going to think I'm wise. And my daughter said, well, I think they're going to think you're old. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're probably, probably right about that. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to just playing the game that, that I've loved since I was shoot, since I can remember. And do you put yourself in that position as the, as an elder statesman now at spring training to, to reach out to the younger kids and, and helping them out? Yeah. I, you know, I think it's a, that's a balance like anything else is like they've got to find their own way. So you try to keep an eye out for when maybe it's a good time to talk or try to lead by example, obviously, all the time. But it is tough. You know, I, I can remember being a young player and there's certain times an older player might say something to you and you're thinking to yourself like, I know, you know. So I think it's important to to be aware that you don't talk too much and you let guys kind of learn from their own mistakes as well, because a lot of times that's going to be the best teacher. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for, you know, for us who live in the Bay Area and are Giants fans for not only what you've done on the field, but off the field. We certainly root for you in both areas. And we, like I said, we will put all sorts of information out when this comes out next month on how people can get engaged with BP28.org and along with hopefully a gala at some point this this year. So thank you, Buster, for your time today. Best of luck and spring and this season and and all that you and your wife do. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and, and thanks for all you guys do as well and, and appreciate the support and I enjoyed it. Thanks. Great. 
have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings Podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings Podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.